Well, good morning, church. It's so good to see you this morning, man. What a, what a sweet time of worship together. Opportunity to pray together, man. I just, I love this church. I love you. It's such a joy to be your pastor and thankful to be able to gather together today, especially when we think about all the things that are happening. And it's so good to be able to come together, isn't it? Amen. 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 We're in week two of our Firestarter series. And we're in this series because last 18 months have really done a lot to kind of bleed, um, bleed all of the joy and, and left so much of us feeling empty and, and uninspired as one thing after another has happened over the last 18 months. And, and this series is really to try to help us um, reignite the passion for life again. And so what we're gonna be doing is I'm gonna use the Bible as our handbook and we're gonna look at the early church as our example, and I'm gonna do the best that I can to kind of be your fire starter guide to help you ignite the passion for life again. Just, just out of curiosity, how many of you guys, any of you guys ever watch any of those survival shows? Right, you know what I'm talking about? Man, those are like the, the fallback when there's nothing else that's good on TV and then it's like a black hole, I can't get out of it. You know, and I love watching those shows. And some, admittedly, some of them are a little fishy, you know? They're like, I'm out here in the middle of the wilderness. There's not a person for miles except for the camera crew and the support staff and the medical, <laughs> you know. Sometimes I'm like, how dumb do you think? I mean, I'm from Arkansas and I am a redneck, but I ain't, I ain't that dumb. But here's the deal, like one of the overwhelming constants in all these survival situations is, is you know, they, they need to be able to start a fire. They need to be able to, to get fire going. And, you know, depending on what show you watch, I mean, there's all kinds of ways and methods that people do it. Sometimes they, you know, put some kind of contraption together or they're rubbing sticks together or the thing with the, they find a string and they do it like that or they, they you know, whatever. Obviously, I'm an expert, you know. Uh, or, uh, I love this one. Uh, Bear Grylls did this one time. He's like, you know what you can use if you have a, a nine volt battery and a, and a piece of steel wool, you can start a fire. Because everybody's just got that in their back pocket, you know, like just in case, just in case. But the most common form that I've seen uh, is, is, a, is a flint and steel. And basically, I mean, the way it works is you got, you know, a piece of high carbon steel and then you've got, you know, a rock or, or, or something else kind of like that. And you just, you know, I think I'm, there it is. There we go. And, and, and the point is, is you, you, you get down close to the fire and you, and you keep doing this until, you know, until something happens. And, 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 and so this is, you know, any survivalist will tell you like, and this is obviously professional. I don't know where we got this from. This has got like the high speed paracord stuff that like magically five years ago, everyone magically started wearing bracelets with this just in case, you know, I don't know what that's all about. Right. But, but, but you use this and, and they get down and you, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to get a fire started and you just keep going until eventually it starts a fire. But, but, but it doesn't happen without the spark. And the spark is, 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 what, is what causes ultimately the fire to happen. And so I've titled today's message, The Spark, right? We're, we're in this journey to learn how to ignite the passion for life again, how to, how to start the fire. And so the, the, the first step is you gotta figure out how to get the spark. Now listen, if you are in a survival situation, I can't imagine being in this situation, but in a situation where you are literally trying to survive, and we've talked about some of the situations um, where people might be using these kind of things, but your very survival is rooted in your ability to get a fire started. The fire is gonna bring heat to your body. It's gonna allow you to purify your water. It's going to let you cook your food. And I can't imagine being in a situation trying over and over and over again to get a fire started, but not able to do so. Makes me think of the movie Castaway. You remember the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks? You know, like he lost like all that weight. And that's the only thing that people talked about really uh, in the movie. But like, remember the part of the movie where he, he, he's training, he's trying to get fire and he finally realizes he, he's already got his friend Wilson that he's, you know, got, he loses Wilson later and everybody cried at that part. Um, right. But then he finally starts fire and then it flashes forward. He's got this huge bonfire, right? He goes, me, Fire. Oh, I make, ooh, ooh, fire, right? And, and we all kind of watch that thinking, man, he's such a good actor. But man, if you were in that situation, you would be doing some kind of, all kinds of happy dance if you got a fire going. Because getting, that, getting the fire started is, is, is what is gonna lead to your survival. And, and, and if you're in a survival situation, you've gotta figure out how to get that fire 
going. And let me just say today that I realize that there's probably somebody here or maybe you're watching online and you're in a bit of a survival situation. Maybe it's very literal. Maybe you're here today and you're asking some very, very, very important questions. Does it matter that I'm here? Does anybody care? Will anybody notice if I'm gone? So you let me say emphatically, yes, it does matter that you're here. People do notice. And most importantly, God sees and God notices and God created you and designed you with a purpose for you to know what that is. And if you've not discovered that yet, that can be part of what leads to that feeling of emptiness. But ultimately, the first step is becoming getting connected to the God who created you. That's step one. Or maybe you're here today and your survival is maybe a little bit more figurative. You're not literally in a survival situation where it's life or death, but you are just kind of going through the motions. You're just kind of moving um, and, and there's not really much enthusiasm. You, everything just kind of uh, seems dull and gray and dark and there's no color, there's no passion, there's no enthusiasm really kind of anywhere inside of you. You don't see anything exciting happening around you. Matter of fact, the more you look around you, the less excited you feel about where the world is. If you're in a survival situation today, you've got to figure out how to get the spark. I think sometimes we don't understand how significant the spark is. I want you to consider this for a moment, that every smolder, every flame, every fire, even the wildfires that are raging on the West Coast right now, all of that power, all of that heat, all of that destruction, all of that that has caused so much that has affected the way that we see the world around us as that smoke and that haze on certain days has come this way and it has affected our view of the sky and our view of the sun. All of that happened and it started with just a spark. Something small, something small, something small. And so if we ever want to be able to get to the point where we can feel that passion for life again, if we ever want to get to the point where we can feel like it's a raging wildfire inside of us where we just have so much enthusiasm, so much passion, we've got to figure out this thing with the spark. What is the spark? How do we get the spark? What does the spark look like? Well, we're going to see what that is as we're going to look at the early church. Because we're going to see something happen with the very first church that these people went from being scared for their lives, scared that people would see them, scared that people would associate them with this Jesus, yet something happened. Jesus ignited something inside of them that radically transformed their life where they no longer walked and lived in utter fear and sheer, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, um, I don't know what the word I'm trying to say, I'm going blank, but that word, <laughs> totally afraid, that's the word, totally afraid, to go anywhere or do anything, yet Jesus shows up and he ignites something inside of them that radically transformed them to have such a white, hot passion for life that they were willing to not only walk out of the room that they were quarantined in, but stand and walk and live boldly day after day and in such a way that it attracted and drew other people who were living an uninspired life to this passionate movement that they were a part of. And they grew and they grew and they grew. And that passion has continued to spread and continue to multiply to the point where the church now expands across the globe. Yes, there is a spiritual component to what we're talking about, absolutely. But you need to understand that a movement that stretches 2,000 years and goes into every corner of the globe does not happen that started with a group of scared, afraid people quarantined in a room unless something sparked a passion inside of them. And we're going to study that today. And I want you to see, we're going to read in Acts chapter two, verse 42 is where we're going to start. I'm going to be in a couple different places today. So take some notes and jot things down so you can go back and check it later. But Acts chapter two, if you're with me today, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, how you doing, Sparky? Acts chapter two, verse 42. Twice it's going to mention in these verses what the spark is. I want to see if you catch it. If you don't, then I'll point it out to you. It says this, verse 42. Then they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. 
Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily within one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added daily to their number that were being saved. Did you catch it? Did you see what the spark was? It mentioned it twice. This thing that, that, that lit the flame that eventually became a wildfire that became known as the church. The spark is the gathering. The spark is the gathering. The spark is the thing that happened when they were all together. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Remember, they gathered together to hear and listen from the apostles, teach and expound upon the word of God. And it said that they were in the temple daily and they, they gathered together. Just so that there's not any confusion, what I'm referring to when I say the gathering is I'm talking about this. I'm talking about the, the occasion when the church gathers together, when people gather together for the purposes of, of worship, for the purposes of praise, for the purposes of prayer, for the purposes of leaning and hearing the instruction of God's word. Now, listen, you, you, you might, if you've been around church for a long time, you might go, okay, well, that, that's super obvious. Or perhaps you're here and you're a little skeptical about the whole Jesus thing. If that's you, can I just tell you you're in good company? I'm glad you're here. Can I get an amen from everybody? Man, there's no better place to be if you've got questions, if you're doubting, if you're curious about Jesus, than right here. And I'm glad that you're here. We do almost everything that we do primarily for you. So I'm glad that you made it today. But I want you to see as we talk about this that there is, there is some things perhaps that we have lost in our modern understanding of what the gathering is that the early church would have had a deeper understanding of. Okay, in the early church, they were, they were very familiar with the Jewish system of worship that was built around a very pretty complicated system of, of worship and sacrifices and festivals and all of these things that required certain times in the year every Jew to come to Jerusalem where the temple was so they can offer a sacrifice. And all of it was built around this image. I think I've got the picture. I'm going to show you this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. All right, this is a thing that would have been inside the temple and inside the temple would have been divided into two rooms, one room called the holy place and the second room called the holy of holies. And the Ark of the Covenant, this thing would have been in the holy of holies and it would have been separated, the holy of holies from the holy place, separated from this thick veil, kind of like these curtains that we use here. And they would have been separated by these super tall, super thick veils so that there no, none of the wrong people ever made it into the holy of holies because God had made it very clear that only the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. What is so important about the Ark of the Covenant? God had promised his people that the Ark of the Covenant would be the representation and the manifestation of God's presence on earth. And so they built their system of worship around this. Now here's the deal. Every Jew had the opportunity to come into the temple to be a part of worship, but almost no Jews were allowed to actually get into the room where the Ark of the Covenant was. Only the high priest could go in there. So understanding this, this would have been something that would be considered a pilgrimage, something that would have been filled with much joy, much enthusiasm for the Jewish people when those festivals came and they came back to Jerusalem so they could be near the temple. Why? Because it meant that regular, ordinary people could be close to the presence of God. King David wrote this in Psalm chapter 120, uh, 122 and verse one. He says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Here's the reason why. Because he knew that it meant that he was going to be able to be close to the presence of God. And so these worships, all of this sacrifice, the system of worship that God had established, the Jews would have been excited about the opportunity to come in these festivals and in these places of worship. But what happened was when Jesus showed up, Jesus made a promise that he was going to change some things. And Jesus made a promise that up until this point, worship of God has been held exclusively for the Jews and nobody else. And not only that, the opportunity to be in the presence of God has been reserved only for the high priest. The best that the rest of you can hope for is to be close to the presence of God. But Jesus said, now that I'm here, I'm going to change some things. 
And what he promised was that the ability to have access to God was not going to be limited to a select few. It was going to be unlimited to anybody everywhere. And when Jesus died on the cross, something significant happened. The veil that was in the temple that separated the holy place from the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, was torn in two from top to bottom. And all of this series of events was validating the promise that Jesus made that I'm coming to change things. I want everybody to have access to me. I want everybody to know who I am. And when the veil of the temple was torn, it marked that God has shifted gears. He's turned the page. It's a new chapter and his love and grace and the opportunity to experience his presence is available to anybody who wants it. In fact, God goes so far as to say, Jesus promised that when he left, when he ascended back into heaven, that he would send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit, and someday we'll do a whole series on this. The Holy Spirit is the third part, the triune nature of God, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus promised is that anyone who would believe and trust in him, that the Holy Spirit would actually not just be a place confined to a room that was indicated by a gold box, but that the very presence of God would come and dwell inside human flesh. This is what Jesus promised. Jesus promised that things were gonna change and things did. So when the early Jews, when when the, the church began to be established and when Jesus launched this thing called the church, the early Jews had deeply embedded into their understanding of how they connect to God, the significance of gathering together. Because they knew differently than what you and I know today that when they got close to the Ark of the Covenant, they were close to the presence of God and they knew that anything is possible when you get close to the presence of God. And my concern for us today is that we're so far removed from that system of worship, which we have been set free from. We don't have to live that way. Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of the law so we don't have to do those things. But I think that it's possible that we can, we can be so separated from that and the idea of church gathering on Sundays can be such a common thing that we, we, we misunderstand and we take for granted the power and the potential of what happens in the gathering. And what I want to help you do today is I want to help you understand it because listen, quarantine, for those of us that were, that were regular time church goers, quarantine took the power and the potential of the gathering away from us for a little bit. Yes, we were able to do some things online and I'm thankful for technology, amen. I'm thankful for the people that are able to tune in and watch right now. If you're watching us, give us a high five in the chat right now. We got people waiting to high five you back digitally. But here's the deal. It's not the same. It's not the same as being in the room. Listen, I'll just be honest with you. When we were going through quarantine, some of y'all don't know this, but we weren't doing that live. If you were with us then, we weren't every Sunday doing that live. We pre-recorded it because it took a whole lot of editing and our team, we've got amazing people who made all of that happen. Listen, I'm gonna tell you, it it takes a lot of work to make me look good, all right? And they did it. But here's the deal. Our time in quarantine was the first time in over 20 years that Jessica and I slept in on a Sunday morning. Man, we went to church in our PJs. We ate brunch while we were at church. I still had bed head. We didn't even brush our teeth. Kids running around with eye boogies and all kinds of stuff all over their face. I'm thankful that we were able to do that in that season. It was a rhythm, it was a discipline, it was a habit that we had to learn. But can I just tell you something? Like I said, it's not the same as being in the room, as Hamilton would say, being in the room where it happens. There's power and there's potential in the gathering. And I'm convinced that what we need is we need to understand what this spark is. We need to understand what happens in the gathering that causes the spark and how the spark is the thing that ignites the fire, that fans to a flame, that can become, if properly handled, a raging wildfire in our lives. And here's the deal. This is going to be a controversial statement, maybe just a little bit. The 
gathering is where the spark happens that ignites that passion and it works for Jesus people and non-Jesus people the same. So if you're here today and you're not a Jesus person, man, can I tell you, I'm so glad. And I realize me saying, how, how, can, how can the church gathering be just as good for me as it is for all the other, you know, Jesus freak, Bible thumping hypocrites. Well, let me tell you. We're going to be Hebrews chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. I, I want to give you time to turn here because I want you to take some notes on this to begin to unpack and understand some things that he's talking about, that God is talking about in Hebrews chapter 10. Once you check this out, verse 24, it says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. The, the day approaching is referring when Jesus does come back. Now, there's so much happening in these two verses. I want to draw your attention to the verbs. I want to draw your attention to the action words. It says, consider. That means look out for. All right, be on the lookout. Then it says, uh, be on the lookout for other people in order to stir up love and good works. What does that mean? It means, it means to provoke, to, to, to rile up, to stoke the flames for love and for good works. Not forsaking the assembling, meaning, meaning gathering together in this kind of a setting with regularity. Don't, don't forsake doing that. You need to do that. Um, uh, assembling of ourselves together as is in the manner of some, but exhorting. This word exhorting means that you speak encouragement and hope to other people. And the longer we go, so much more we need to keep doing it as we wait for Jesus to come back. Here's what, here's what this is saying. It's saying, listen, life is tough. Life is hard. News flash, breaking news, this just in. Life is not always sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns. It's full of ups and downs and, and gut-wrenching sucker punches that you don't see coming and overwhelming and exhilarating joys and, and there's all these highs and there's all these lows and what the gathering is is the gathering is the place that God has designed that God has orchestrated that come for all those who are on the mountaintops that things couldn't go better you're living under the spout where the glory comes out Come into the gathering. And for all the people in the valleys low where everything is terrible and miserable and devastating and hard and difficult, come together. And everybody that's in between, come into the gathering. Because what happens is, is it creates an opportunity where those who are strong, those who are doing well, can be on the lookout for those who aren't doing well. And you can encourage them and you can give them hope. And when you're one of those people that things aren't going well, sometimes church is the last place that you want to be. But I want to be a kind of church where we're not just putting on our Sunday best and everything is awesome and everything is amazing, but we can be real and we can be honest. And when someone says, how are you doing? Say, you know what? This has been a really, really hard week. I could use some prayer. Man, I want to have the kind of church where we can be that kind of honest so that when you talk to somebody, when you are weak, when you are struggling, that you can talk to somebody and let them know because they're on the lookout who is doing well and is in a strong place and they can pray for you. They can encourage you. They can say, hey man, let's go get some lunch this week. I'd love to hear more about it. Hey sister, can I, how can I encourage you? How can I serve you this week? And the gathering is the place where all of this can come together. And it's even more crucial for the Christians who are the outcasts of the world. And whether you're doing well or whether you're doing not so well, that we can come together into this place and be on the lookout for one another and encourage one another. Because if you're on the mountaintop now, it's just a matter of time until you're not. And when you walk through the doors of this place, there are going to be some people, I hope and I pray, there are going to be some people that are going to have their eyes open looking out for somebody who's not doing great so that you can be the beneficiary of what in a different season you were able to give out. The gathering that we do every Sunday should be a safe haven for all. A safe harbor for all weary travelers a place where you can find rest and sustenance and resources. 
a place for those who are doing well to be able to bless and encourage and realize that all of the things that have led to the things being great, God has not led you to that place so you can just be a sponge and, and only just soak it up, but so that you can be a sponge and you can wring it out and you can bless others with it. The church could be a place that doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter where you're going through. It's a place where you can come and you can be loved and so that you can love others. And a little pet peeve, we say that church people say this a lot. We like to say that we love on people. Can I just say that's like the creepiest thing in the world to say? Right, like, it, like anytime, every once in a while, people will say this like from the stage. I talk to them about it. Like, especially about kids. We just want you to take your kids back to discovery. We're gonna love on your kids. No, we're not. We are not doing that. We should love people well. That's a good thing. You love on people, that's creepy. We'll call the cops on you. You do all your loving on people to the person you're married to. And shut it down for everything else. Sorry, a little side note. By the way, this is why we do everything that we do. The reason why we put signs and flags up so that we can direct people to know where the safe harbor is. The reason why we have a hospitality team and greeters and, and the reason why we provide coffee and some, you know, some pastries and that kind of stuff, just create an environment that begin to tear down some walls where you can, where you can go, man, okay, maybe this place is okay. You know, maybe you don't technically need, like I don't know that anybody really needs coffee and I just offended somebody. You don't need coffee. If by 10 o'clock you got a headache, you have an addiction and you need to pray about that. Y'all think I'm joking. Right, we, we do this just so we can provide some, re we wanna provide some, re we wanna create an environment where you can rest. We help you check your kids in because we know how frustrating a Sunday morning can be with kids. Odds are you showed up five minutes late, not because you wanted to be five minutes late, but because somebody else decided that they were gonna make you five minutes late. That's why we do the things that we do. We're trying to create a space where you can, you can rest, where you can, you can be loved and you can be ministered to. Also, it's the reason why we do our greeting time. Some of y'all hate that. Listen, I get it. All the introverts in the room hate that 60 seconds. It's the least favorite part of your entire Sunday. You mean I have to stand up and I have to make eye contact? And you're asking me to say words with my mouth? Can I tell you something? It's hard to be loved when nobody knows who you are. And it's hard to love others when you sit in your cone of silence. That's why we do what we do. Not only that, there's some other things that happen in the gathering. God gives us instructions to sing. You ever wonder why we sing in church? Listen, for some people, for non-Jesus people especially, this is, the, this is like the most awkward time in church. Especially if you're not a very good singer. Right, like it's like, it's like going to a concert that you don't know the band and you don't know their songs and you're thinking, why did I pay to be here? Listen, this is awkward even for a lot of Jesus people. I know that because I look across the room periodically and you're... Some of you will be like, everyone's singing, how great thou art, and you're going. Listen, can I tell you, that's one of the most important parts of a service. Let me show you why. Psalm 100 verse four says, we're gonna enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts of praise. Literally, we're gonna come into the gates of the temple, into the courts of the temple with thanksgiving and praise. We're gonna sing praise. What is praise? Well, we need to understand that there's a difference between praise and worship. Now listen, last year we did a series called Choose Joy where I taught on this a little bit. I wanna recycle this because I think it's critical that we understand how important it is that we understand the difference between praise and worship because a lot of us, we can get down with some worship. 
Because worship, you know, I can do that in my car, my house, my shower. Praise is different. Psalm 95 gives us some instruction. Notice what it says. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us, what? Shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Here it is again. Let us, what? Shout. Let it all out. joyfully to him with song. Listen, this is what praise is. Praise is loud. It's exuberant. It's expressive. Some of y'all grew up in some Baptist churches and you think, I'm gonna go to hell if I do that. Some of y'all grew up in some charismatic church and you're just like, like, let's go. When does that start happening? What's that? When's that part of the service, preacher? But then he goes in verse six, he talks to us about worship. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are his pe- the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Praise and worship, praise is, is big and loud and exuberant. Worship is, is intimate and it's, it's more internal. I wanna, wanna go through this and help you see some of this a little bit. We praise God for what he has already done. Right, that's what praise is. Praise is where we're talking about what he's already done. We do this song around here where we talk about uh, you pick me up, turn me around, set my feet on solid ground. I thank the master. I thank the savior. I thank God. What are you doing? You're praising. You're, you're, you're talking about something that he's already done. Here's why this is so important because we walk into the room sometimes, the Jesus people, we can walk into the room thinking about why am I late? Why my kids are late? I hate my spouse. I love my spouse, but I hate them right now. And I can't believe that we didn't put gas in the car. The light was on last night when you pulled it in the garage. Sorry. That one hits close to home. To which she would say, get out of bed sooner, then you can help with the kids and we can get here on time. Just trying to be equal opportunity, all right? And for the people who aren't Jesus people, let me tell you why this is so important. Because a lot of, Jesus, a lot of people who aren't Jesus people don't know what God can do. And so they need to come, we all need to come into the room where the Jesus people can talk about what God has done so that you can be reminded of what he has done and so that we can declare to the people in the room who don't know what he can do, what he's capable of. We worship God for who he is. Then sings my soul, my savior God to thee, how great you are, how great you are. Right, what are we doing? We're singing to him for who he is, not what he's done. Because of who he is, the, the things that are true according to his nature. But let me put it like this. Praise is horizontal. Think about it. When you're praising, you're almost not even singing to God. All right, let's go back to that song. He, he, he changed me up, turned me around, set my feet on solid ground. Right, like I'm not really even singing that to God. I'm singing that to you. I'm letting you know what he has done in my life. And sometimes when you walk in, you got all those other things on your mind and you're looking around and you're going, man, I thank the master, I thank the savior, I thank God. And then you get to the bridge of that song, hell lost another one, I am free, I am free, right? Like, man, you know what? I can't, sometimes I forget about it. Hell did lose me, woo! Man, I got so many things trying to hold me back into that place of hell, but I got to remember that hell lost me because Jesus came and found me and took me and set my feet on solid rock. Man, you better believe I'm going to praise the master. I'm going to praise the savior. I'm going to thank God. And sometimes I needed to be reminded by that by watching you sing it. And put it another way. I can worship without you, but I can't praise without you. Praise is horizontal. Worship is vertical. Worship is putting all of our attention on God. It begins to, it begins to narrow the focus. Okay, God, I'm going to enter your courts with thanksgiving and praise, remembering what you've done. And as we transition, I'm going to, I'm going to sing about who you are. It's not about what I need. God, I need to be reminded. I need to be encouraged. I need to have my, 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 my vision recalibrated as to who you are. And so that's, that is, by the way, why when we are in a worship service, we do things that don't draw attention to ourselves because all the attention is on God. 
Praise is horizontal, worship is vertical. Maybe this will help it make sense. Psalm 22 verse three says, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Another translation says that you inhabit the praise of your people. Or in other words, what this verse is saying is that when God's people show up and they begin to praise, not worship, that's different. When they begin to praise, God says, I'll be there. You start praising me, I'll be there. You want to experience my presence? You get some people together and start praising me, I'll be there. Because he inhabits the praises of his people and it's a really big deal what happens when God's presence shows up into a space because anything can change. The atmosphere changes when God shows up. So what happens in the gathering. Not only that, a couple other things that happen in the gathering. I don't know if you know it or not, but every time you show up to the gathering, we go under the knife. Not for a physical procedure, but for a spiritual procedure. That when you show up and God's word is proclaimed, then God picks up his scalpel and he starts to go to work at carving away some things in your soul that don't look like him. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 tells us this, that for his word, for the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Listen, despite what you might have been led to believe, the preacher is not the surgeon in the situation. At best, the preacher is like a surgeon's aide. And so what I'm doing all week is I'm, I'm studying the word and I'm praying and I'm trying to make sure, God, you don't need any help making sure that the instrument is sharp. God, I just need to make sure that I use it appropriately. I need to make sure that I, that I arrange it and orchestrate it in the way that you want it to be used so that you can use it and, and do some spiritual surgery on the hearts of every single person that hears your word proclaimed. And then, and then after that, we have an opportunity to respond to it. James chapter one tells us that, that he encourages us that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving ourselves. So what that means is, is that you don't just show up to church and go, oh, that was some good preaching, pastor. Listen, I, I'm human. I like to be encouraged from time to time. But can I tell you what I want for you is for you to not walk away. And, and or, or I, what I want for you is not to leave here going, man, that preacher's good. He uses words right good. My Arkansas comes out every once in a while. Can I just tell you something? If I'm not the surgeon, then I'm not the one doing the work. It's the spirit of God with the word of God. And I appreciate your encouragement. I, listen, I would rather hear, hey, great message today, than go, man, that sucked. I fell asleep five minutes in. I don't want you to be a hearer of the word. I want you to be a doer of the word because when you're not a doer of the word, what happens is you can go through the whole gathering and, and it's gone. You get a spark, oh, there it goes. The thing that causes you to want to be here, whoop, gone. And if you don't, if you don't do God's word, then all the gathering will ever possibly be for you I like going to that church. Why? Oh, you know, it's, it's a good environment. People are friendly. The, you know, worship's good. The preaching's okay. They do a great job. They don't love on my kids there. <laughs> but they just love them. Which is a really important distinction for me in my house. Right? The, the thing that, that's what, that's what it is that caused you to come back. What I'm trying to help you see is that it's supposed to do that. But God wants to turn it from this into something so much more. That's what next week's going to be about. I'm going to have to come back next week and learn more about that, about helping you learn how do I go from that to a flame. But for today, I want you to understand that it is the gathering that is the spark that can ignite the passion for life again. So when we come back to what David said in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let us go to the gathering. Why? Because God, God can do something in your life in the gathering. 
I don't know who this is for today, but God sent me here to tell somebody this, that the gathering, the purpose of the gathering is not so that you can check the box. The purpose of the gathering is so that you can have your tank filled. The point of the gathering is not so you can check the box at the end of the week and go, yep, I got that in like I was supposed to. I'm a good Christian and there we go. No, 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 no. The purpose of the gathering is to be at the beginning of the week so that you can fill your tank to get through whatever is coming at you for the rest of the week. It's so that you can experience the spark and and eventually as we work through the series, you're gonna learn what to do with that spark. It's my hope that whether it's here at Discover Church or it's another church that better meets the the needs that you have with your life, with your situation, with your family, that you will begin to see that when we say around here that Sunday is the best day of the week, it's not hyperbole. We say Sunday is the best day of the week because it's our opportunity where we have been able as ordinary, regular people to come into the presence of God and experience the supernatural work of God. It's an opportunity where after I've heard so many voices throughout the last week and I've seen so many things that are going on and everybody got an opinion about what's going on that I can come into the gathering and I can be reminded what truth is. I can be reminded who God is and just as importantly, I can be reminded of what God has said about me. It's an opportunity to engage and connect with other people. An opportunity to have my vision realigned back into who God is. My hope for you is that you would see the gathering as an opportunity where you can, if you're weak, you can be strengthened and encouraged by others. And if you're strong, then you can see that God has positioned you for that, not just for your benefit, but for his glory so that you can take those things that have led to you being strong and you can pass that on in encouragement to somebody else. My hope is that you would see the gathering as a place where you can feel that you are seen and that you are known and that you are cared for. My hope is that you could see the gathering as a place where you can find healing from your past hurts. Hope for your present problems. Answers to those burning questions that are burning deep inside of you and you can begin to discover the reason why you can and should have hope. Tomorrow can be better than today. It's the chance for regular ordinary people come in contact with a living God because his people are singing his praises. His word is proclaimed. People are responding and great things are happening. Listen, here's what I want you to understand. I want you to understand that there are are things that can happen in a moment in the presence of God that you can spend a lifetime never moving the needle on. I want to encourage you this week to go to John chapter five and read about the man whose legs were crippled for 38 years. And he had heard about the pool of Bethesda. The pool of Bethesda had a, um, a pool of water and it was believed, they believed that occasionally an angel would stir up the water and the first person in the water would be healed of whatever ailment or infirmity that they have. And this man had dealt with this crippling issue for 38 years. We don't know how long he was at the pool of Bethesda, but what he says is, is that time and time again, the water stirred and time and time again, he tried to get there in his own strength and his own ability. Yet time and time again, somebody beat him to the water. And for years after year, after year, after year, after year, this man sat in that place on a hope that maybe, just maybe, if I can do it the right way, if I can get there in time, then maybe I can experience by luck, by sheer chance, something that would, that would move the needle in this situation and in this circumstance in my life. I'm just asking the question today, does that resonate for anybody in this place? In John chapter five, what happens? Jesus shows up. He meets this man. And he says, man, do you want to be healed? The man says, you don't understand. I've been here for so long doing it in my own ability and my own strength, trying to make it happen. Jesus says, I didn't ask you about how long you've been here. I didn't ask you about what you've been doing. I asked you, do you want to be healed? 
Jesus told that man to take his bed, to stand up and walk. And he did. And it created a stir all across Jerusalem. People asking, what happened to this man? And he said, all I know is that I met a man after 38 years of being crippled. I met a man who in a moment, I met a man who with just a spark changed everything in my life. You see, here's what God sent me to tell you today that God doesn't work like man does. God's not a doctor. He doesn't need to keep doing tests and evaluations. He's not a, a therapist or psychologist where you sit down and they keep asking questions, hoping that you'll come to a self-realization of what the issues are. And hear me, I'm not trying to minimize medical doctors or, 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 or psychologists or therapists in any way. I'm just trying to help you see that our God is not that. when I was nine years old. I'd showed up to the gathering again and again because a neighbor boy named Jason said, hey man, they give out free candy. You want to come? In the 90s, nobody asked, well, do they love on you or do they love you? (laughs) My parents didn't even go to church. You know, I went with Jason and his family again and again. I kept showing up. And I, and I didn't really even notice the sparks that were happening. But I kept showing up to the gathering and God kept showing up in my life. And then eventually, the spark happened in my life. And I was never the same. trying to help you see today. There's so much more happening in the gathering than just checking the box. So when you come to the gathering, I want to encourage you and challenge you with four things. This is a late edition. You're going to have to write fast because it's not on your handout. Show up. I know that there are things that get in the way and there's times where it's an inconvenience and show up. I know that things happen and and, and life gets in the way and and show up. Listen, I'm not guilting you. I'm not condemning you. Listen, there's gonna be weeks where stuff happens. I'm just encouraging you that there is something that can happen in the moment of God's presence and you don't wanna miss it. The thing that you've been praying for, the thing you've been hoping for, the thing you've been begging God for, it can happen in a moment in his presence. Show up. Make it important in your life. Moms and dads, listen to me. Can I tell you that the rhythms of spirituality and faith that your children will have will be modeled off of you. The first step is to show up. The second step is just as important though. When you show up, expect God to move and change lives. What are we doing today, mom? We're going to church, baby. Why are we doing that? Because that's just what we do at Sunday. No, 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 no. What are we doing today, mom? Baby, we're going to be in the presence of God. Why are we doing that? Because God can change things in a moment. I don't like going in church. Baby, can I tell you something? I don't like going to church either sometimes. But there's been times where God has sparked something that changed my life. And if he has to do it again in my life or in yours, I don't want us to miss it. Show up. Expect God to move and change lives. Here's the third thing. Remember what God said. He said he inhabits the praises of his people So show up ready to do your part by being ready to praise. Listen, can I just say, I know it's uncomfortable for some. You know the reason why I stand right up here? Because I'm a big dude. 
and I suck at singing. And you don't have to do it the way that I do it. And I'm not doing it for you. But I stand right here on the front corner every Sunday morning because I want to try to provide an example that it is necessary that we learn to not just worship, but we learn to praise. Listen, I can't dance at six foot five. What starts down here gets all kinds of funky when it gets up here. I don't care. There's times I got my eyes closed. I'm doing my thing and I start to get like off balance. I'm like, whoop, hold on. Here's the last thing. As long as I'm the pastor here, you can bet that God's word is going to be proclaimed. And I'm going to do the best that I can to not just tell what you want to hear, but tell you what God spoke. Because my wisdom and pithy sayings will never amount to anything. It is God's word, the scalpel in his hand, doing surgery on your life. Don't just hear it. Go do it. God, what do you want me to do in response to this message today? Every time the word of God is proclaimed, it demands a response. Why is all this so important? Because I believe this with all my heart and I love the way there's a church in Nashville that that coined this. And I believe it is so good. At the gathering, everyone's welcome. At the gathering, Nobody's perfect. And at the gathering, anything is possible. Because the gathering is the spark. There's no flame, there's no fire, there's no wildfire without the spark. Everyone's welcome. Nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.